Did you guys ever go through a bra phase? No. I, please don't tell me you did. This is. Oh, this is, I did. Oh, like, no. Are, wait, can we start? Is, are we are talking about cars? Yes. <laughs> oh, either way, man. either way is equally embarrassing. Yeah. Maybe the car one is worse. I would agree with so that. So in episode one, I, I told you how when I, I had bought a Honda Accord, uh, it was my first brand new car that I'd ever bought. And the car, so before that, I had spent some time with a Maxima, and, and uh, before that, my sister's borrowed Corolla. And in both cases, especially the Corolla, uh, I did a lot of highway driving, and the, the hood would just get so chipped. You know, the paint on the hood would just get so chipped along that front edge, uh, just from various like tiny rocks that I wouldn't even notice while driving. But it was, it was just spotted. Um, where were you driving with this car? Just on highways, but you know, in Pennsylvania, where the, you know where winter exists, so it, it, you know they, they were the Maxima wasn't as bad. The Corolla, I, it was a '98 Corolla. I don't know if it was something about the design of the aerodynamics or something, or if if just the paint was especially bad or or fragile. I don't really know, but just tons and tons of of speckle marks on the hood where you know where the paint had chipped away from from minor road debris and. Uh, and so when I bought my my Accord, I thought, you know, I want I want this thing to be pristine. And you know, everyone does this. It's like buying the uh, you know the undercoating protection or you know whatever scam they come up with. You know, for, everyone for your does decade. not do this, but you can continue. Well, you know, people. Back. It's this, it's the reason why extended warranties sell so well, and why people occasionally are convinced at retail to buy gold plated right, USB I, I cables. I have an analogy that I think is applicable, but you finish your story. <laughs> okay. Well, so here I yeah, I just bought this my my first new car. And I wanted to protect it, and I wanted it to stay perfect as long as possible. And I was so paranoid about speckling up the hood uh, from from road debris that I I purchased a car bra, and and not 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 even just like just the part that goes on the hood lid, the little like little tiny rectangle. No, the whole front, like you know, hood lid, and then all the way around the headlights and around the whole lower you know bumper thing. And oh my god, and, so and I and I kept it. See the problem with this. I kept it on there, and it was a black car with a black bra, so it didn't look as bad as it could have. Um, but the main problem with, with the car bra is that dirt and stuff can get under it. And, and I knew this, and fortunately it, it didn't end up being a problem. But you know, if, if dirt gets under it, then the bra is like scraping all that dirt around. It's like holding it against your paint, and it actually makes way worse damage uh, if you don't take care of it, if you don't like, you know, take it off, clean it, and everything. But I was in an apartment building with street parking. There was no garage for me to take, you know, take all this car maintenance in. Like there, there was nowhere for me to easily take it off, wash it, let it dry, and put it back on. So I just never did. So I left it on there for like six months. Eventually, I got, I got so paranoid about dirt being trapped under it that I just took it off and then just never put it back on. And then I sold it dirty to somebody, <laughs> somebody on eBay. Um, and, and that ended my car bra phase. I know that's a boring story, but... It, it was just this this momentary lapse in judgment. I mean, that whole car was a lapse in judgment to some degree. But so so you guys did not have uh, you were never tempted to protect the front of your car with a bra. Well, let me let me jump in real quick uh, and answer this by asking John: Would you like to look for a new co-host with me? <laughs> yeah, he was a Windows user too. Do you know that? At, at some, the time, as, many, as was yeah, I. There as was are I. many. Yeah, well, I don't, know, I don't know how I associate with both of you then, but this, 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 <laughs> you both. There's a dark past, Marco's dark past. We're gonna we're gonna put this like Windows was my number one, but now the car bra is like is uh, rising up the charts. It was it was a little rough. Yeah. So here's my analogy for the car bra. All right, uh, I liken it to the screen protector things you can buy for iOS devices. The little clear things that you put yes. on the back or the front, really. Not just the screen, but also the way you ever see those clear things that, that stick onto the back or whatever? Yeah, I, I briefly it, used one on the iPhone 4. I'm, yeah, so, it's a, it gets worse. The, the way it works <laughs> is like the, uh, the motivation for these things. Like if you think about it, if you think it through, you can usually talk yourself out of it before you do it. Right? So the motivation is I don't want my car to look ugly. It's mostly an aesthetic thing. You don't want the stone chips on your car or whatever, or on your iOS device. You don't want scratches, right? So you say, I'll put this thing on it that will protect the, the paint on my car, the screen on my thing, the, the back on my iPhone or iPad, um, and that way it won't get damaged. But all those things you put on your car make it ugly. So to prevent your thing 
from your iPad or, or iPhone or car from being ugly, you intentionally make it ugly. You can kind of think, okay, I'm intentionally making it ugly, but underneath that ugliness, I sleep better knowing that there's a clean, pristine paint surface <laughs> or whatever. But that's not even true, as Marco pointed out. That's not even true either. Anyway, because uh, it, you get dirt under there. And even if you clean it, for car bars specifically, even if you clean out the grit and it actually you do preserve it so it actually is pristine underneath there, UV will eventually change the color of the paint right. on the rest of the car, but not <laughs> that part of the car. So when you take it off, you will literally have a bra tan line. And that, maybe that's not as bad these days as it used to be. So basically, to try in your... Your well-intentioned effort to make your car not be ugly, you are intentionally dooming yourself from day one having a hideously ugly and embarrassingly, you know, strange-looking car. So just say no to car bras, people. Well, and, and the, the really sad part is that when that car was nine months old, somebody backed into the door. And I... <laughs> you so, a door bra. Yeah, right. You checked your door from that, yeah. And for the iOS things, you know, those clear films, they just, they get much more scratched up and ugly and disgusting than the glass would. So you're better off just, you know, why, you know, why immediately give yourself an ugly thing? Why not use it so it look where it looks the best? And if you happen to get a scratch, so be it. At least you got to use it in this pristine, beautiful state up until then, instead of just immediately getting it and sticking something on it and making it gross. Well, I do have a moment of FU, and I'm very excited that I can be the one to say that. And I'm opening up the floodgates by doing some FU because I know John is. Wait, did you about have to... you gotten my agreement, my license agreement for doing follow up on a podcast? I'll no, my lawyers get in touch with you about that. Because, oh God, know, we, I'm sure we can work something out. My terms oh. are very equitable. It's a fair <laughs> it's and reasonable. What is it, friend? Yep. So I have some lag behind, not follow up, but lag behind. Um, first thing is, and I'm going to try to make this really quick. Uh, Peter Van Brokhoven, if I read that correctly, uh, was the first that I saw to point out to us that the Ford probe is a Mazda MS MX six, excuse me. Uh, I think I was on the right track with the six, two, six, and then I decided I was wrong. But as it turns out, uh, it is the MX six, uh, wastegate versus blow off. Well, before oh. you get past that, the six, two, six is mechanically identical to the MX six. It just has different skin on it. So you're oh. pretty much right. See, thank you. All right. I, I will allow that. Uh, wastegate versus blow off valve. We got a lot of complaining about how I didn't know what I was talking about, which was justified. Wait, hang However, on a second. What? I saw the same feedback as you. You think that's a lot of complaining? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Welcome to the internet, Casey. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I'm new here. Be gentle. <laughs> um, so Joe Reuter, I believe, uh, R-E-U-T-E-R, was the first person I see to let us know uh, via tweet the difference. And he said, also, blow-off valve and wastegates are very different things. Blow-off valve regulates pressure on the intake side. Wastegate does it on the exhaust. And I could elaborate on that because I've since done research, but I won't. Um, and then why the Subaru motor in the Toyota Baru? Um, a lot of people pointed out uh, that boxer engines inherently are uh, configured in such a way that they can sit really low in the car, which is part of the reason why the Toyota Baru handles so well. Yeah, we, we know that they're horizontally opposed. I think we said that on the show. I right. still The question remains, in my mind anyway. Well, I agree. Super power? Oh, the whole point is I don't like horizontally opposed engines. I don't think that, yes, they have a lower center of gravity, but they don't make nice noises, and if they were such a great idea, everyone would be doing them and not just Subaru. It's kind of like the Wankel. You know, the rotor exactly. engines, yep, like, yep, they yep. have many advantages. They're interesting, you know, there's interesting characteristics of the Wankel, but I say my, my question still stands. It's not, I would prefer to have Toyota's best high-revving small car uh, engine in that car, in that thing, instead of a Subaru power plant. So I don't really care that the center of gravity is lower. Yeah, I agree with you, but I mean, it is what it is. So that's all the uh, lag behind, not follow up that I had. I don't know if you guys would like to contribute or if we could go ahead with Marco's question. Oh, I can't believe we're we've become a follow up show already. Uh, I, I was trying Casey's, so hard to avoid this that. Is Casey's oh, I, I didn't plan to do it either. But I, Casey kept saying, "Oh, well, we got to follow up." I only have one thing. Someone on Twitter well, uh, when we were talking about the four door sports car, the Nissan Maxima. Right. Uh, and I and I was saying how like how can they get away with saying oh it's the four door sports car as if it's some radical new thing as if sports sedans never existed before and I mentioned the BMW 2002 someone on Twitter pointed out 2002 was a coupe two doors not four doors uh, so I will amend that to uh, from instead of uh, 40SC I'll amend it to SSSC sedan shaped sports car <laughs> <laughs> because it was like 2002 it looked like you know a box in front box in back box in the middle but it did have two doors so. There you go. See, good to know. And now that we've done that FU, we can cut all that stuff out later. <laughs> oh, you're going to censor yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. How's it going to go? Let me get the handbrakes then. Yeah, seriously. 
He's All doing right. his he's doing his own bleeping. Squarespace is a do-it-yourself website platform that makes building a website extremely easy. The designs that Squarespace start you with are both beautiful and simple. All you have to do is add your content and you will have a great looking site. Squarespace sites also include responsive design, so your website will automatically resize and show up perfectly on any device. Every account comes with cloud hosting, real-time analytics, a free domain, and 24-7 support. So whether you're a creative professional, business owner, or simply need an online presence, Squarespace makes it easy. Our site, Neutral.fm, was created in just 15 minutes on Squarespace. Check out a free trial at squarespace.com. If you decide to continue with your site, Squarespace is only $8 a month. And use the offer code NEUTRAL1 during checkout to get a 10% discount. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. I assigned both of you homework. And, and I assigned myself homework as well. And, and I never did homework in school, but, but I at least did it for this. Um, I'm curious to know, did you guys, first of all, did you do your homework? I did. I did it under protest. Okay, that's good. <laughs> there, there's no better way to do homework. Um, the, the assignment I gave us was for each of us to come up with our answer to what car available today, and, and it could be new or used, but it just has to be generally available you know, these days, uh, what car, year, model, and uh, configuration do you think is the best value for general purpose long-term ownership? And the the limit was let's let's try to keep it under twenty five thousand. The lower the better. And uh, and or you know the lower without frequent maintenance or severe limitations. So you know like a smart car is really cheap, but it has severe limitations. Um, and you know if you get you can get like a nineteen ninety two Nissan Maxima for for a pretty good price these days, way under twenty five thousand, but. That's probably going to require frequent maintenance. So, uh, you know, reasonably young, you know, not too ancient of a car. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think? Who wants to go first? Casey. Okay. I guess I would like to go first, please, Marco. <laughs> um, so I have two answers, uh, and they both suck because you guys are going to just berate me for them. But Most that's now a trend that we've already started. So, hey, why not continue? Uh, if I had to pick just one, I I landed on the 2013 Impreza hatchback, the Super Impreza ha- hatchback. Of course you and, did. And of course I did. Um, firstly, you can get it in white. I mean, um, it's under 25000 In fact, the one I built was $22,523. You can get it with a stick. Um, it is not very quick, which is definitely a demerit. But the reason I thought it was a good deal was it's a hatchback that's reasonably fun-ish. For under twenty five grand, that's brand new. Now, if I could quickly give my alternate answer, and then you can berate me, uh, my alternate answer is basically my old Subaru, but in wagon form. So for a couple of years, when the 05, I think it was like 05 through 07, or maybe 06, you could get a Subaru Legacy GT as a wagon with the five speed. And so that would be my second choice. And I actually found one on Auto Trader for $13,900. For with uh, sixty three thousand one hundred seventy two miles on it, and that it's was not high. white. Well, it's a little bit rare, um, but that is not white, uh, and it is a wagon. And I don't think I would ever personally drive either of these cars because it is but, not white. Well, right, exactly. Uh, no, I'd probably never drive them because I don't care for hatchbacks. And if I was going to get a wagon, I would get one that was probably a little bit more ridiculous, obnoxious, or quicker. Um, but either way, the, the, as an all-arounder, can do all things for all people, that's what I would pick. So you so, recommend the two cars that you wouldn't buy? Correct. Maybe, yeah, maybe you do like horizontally posed engines. Didn't we just get through discussing the I terrible know. shifters and the Subarus, and you're you going to get a legacy with the stick so you can yes. enjoy that rubbery feeling every day? I, bl- I believe I said mashed potato, or excuse me, wooden through, spoon through mashed potatoes, but yes, everything you just said is accurate. Yeah, and my, my <laughs> other complaint about the, uh, the Impreza is, I, I mean... Maybe if you're getting like a, a fancy, I know that the maybe if you're getting a fancy GTI or something like twenty five grand for a hatchback, even when it's brand new, I can't. Maybe it's hatchback bias. Any European listeners are probably think we're all crazy because I know hatchbacks are what it's all about in Europe. But the, something in our water here in America, twenty five grand for a hatchback makes me go, yeah, I don't know. 
And I actually agree with you. But like I said, the theory was all things to all people. So I could, we could, you know, this hypothetical person could haul things, but would still have fun when they're not hauling things. So it, hauling it's hauling things. Yeah, that's American too. Yeah, that is American. Actually, you're very right. And about hatchbacks that. really don't hold very much. Like, you know, they, they have the shape of a vehicle that holds a lot. And, and they're, the hatchback itself does lend some versatility to to the you know the size of items you can fit into the car but the overall volume that you have to transport things in most of the compact hatchbacks is actually pretty small yeah i would say that's true yeah, uh, i feel like the old hatchbacks used to have more remember the old uh, integra hatchback like oh yeah the, the hatchback was a different shape it was more like more horizontal so you could crack the hatchback open like a big open pac-man mouth and you could fit huge stuff in there but now when the backs are a little bit more vertical there's only so much extra room you can get by having the the you know the, the hatch open a crack you know? or you can spend like 70 grand on an audi a7 which does have the old shape <laughs> yeah that's a different <laughs> class of car yes I, I suspect it's not attracting any of the same buyers no so john what was what was your pick so my protest about this thing is that the question is like best value, but it doesn't go. It, it doesn't explain what the heck it means about that. And you can say, well, that's part of the question. You have to decide what value means for you. But then you added a bunch of words after that with say general purpose and long term ownership, which is kind of trying to define value for me. But you still have the word value in there. So I didn't like the selection criteria, and in protest, I've also selected two cars. That's fine. <laughs> I, hey, I picked three. Oh yeah. God. So I have the actual correct answer to this question as phrased, just to get it out of the way. Uh, the actual best value for general purpose long-term ownership for twenty five grand is a 2013 Honda Accord sedan sport. It is the best all-around car you can get. Having I say this, having never driven one and have only briefly seen one, but I am a very big Accord fan, having owned two so far, and the specs on this thing are just, you know, crazily better than that Impreza. Uh, it's got, obviously it's got more room to carry people. You're talking about general purpose long-term ownership uh you know a lot of people reproduce in this country and that means you're gonna have to find someplace to put the other little people and you don't want them in the back of a hatchback it's got all sorts of crazy amenities that like i didn't think would come with like that you know this is not the fancy accord this is the four-cylinder one it's 189 horsepower which is fine but uh six-speed manual of course it's got active noise cancellation and you know the the, the touchscreen thing is is uh, uh standard you don't have to pay extra for that thing a tire pressure monitoring system and all, all these things that used to be luxury things are now trickling down into, the, into like basically the base accord uh and it looks nice it's got 18 inch alloy wheels so it doesn't look like you know the cheap thing with the wheel covers on top of it this is an all-round just a really great general purpose car and it comes with a five speed that will not drive you crazy the, the shifters in these things are actually nice honda makes a nice uh stick uh you know, dual, dual zone automatic climate control Things that I didn't expect to be in this thing. Rear view camera is standard, Bluetooth, all the, the iPod connections. Like, you're basically getting a very, 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 very poor man's BMW. Like, it has all the amenity features that you want. It's just massively lower performance and not quite as nice. But it's twenty five grand, And this thing is going to run forever. Uh, and it's, you know, the repair costs are going to be low, much lower than on your BMW. Yes, I know you get free maintenance for the first whatever years, but... Uh, so this that's the correct answer. If you had twenty five grand, you wanted the best long term uh, car for value. It's the current generation Honda Accord Sport. You can get the luxury ones and stuff too, but you're not getting that much more for that money. Uh, my second choice, if you define value slightly differently, and I think you probably should define value slightly differently if, if for a puzzle like this, is find yourself a nineteen ninety three Acura NSX. And I found two of them. Wow! I, I found two of them for for under twenty five grand, just to prove that I'm not like making this up and saying, "Well, you can probably find one." I found two of them. One of them is red, and one of them is black. Uh, this car has many advantages. First of all, since it's an NSX, it was probably owned by somebody who took care of it. Like it's not going to be beat to hell like a 1993 Accord, right? People who bought this NSX originally were probably going to be nice to their car. Uh, it's extremely reliable. So it's not going to be like a temperamental exotic where you're going to have to repair the thing constantly. Like it's a Honda underneath there. It's a, it's a V6 engine, not too powerful, 270 horsepower, but it does run to 60 in five seconds. Uh, oh, I didn't read the mileage on the Accord, but the, the NSX is 19 city, 24 miles per gallon highway, and the, the Accord is 2434. Uh, this is an incredible mileage. And what are you getting for your 25 grand? You're getting to drive basically every day, and you can't drive this every day, an exotic car. People are going to turn their head when you drive by, and you only pay 25 grand. What other... What what other situation can you drive a head turning car that goes from zero to sixty in five seconds for twenty five grand? Acura NSX is the more interesting answer. 
I gotta say, I was not expecting that. That's that's really interesting. I, you know, that I I really don't know anything about the NSS except that everyone is obsessed with it. Um, but I really don't know anything about it. Sounds like a hey, pretty good deal. I mean, like, it's a fast car. It gets good mileage. It's reliable, and it's mid-engined and looks exotic. I mean. No, it is a very good pick, uh, and I actually just saw one recently uh, the other day, and I parked next to it in the back corner of the Whole Foods parking lot and definitely took a picture of my car next to it because I couldn't resist. Um, but it is a very interesting pick, but it's also, in some regard, a little bit of a boring pick, and hear me out for just one second. Uh, no, hold on. Uh, as as those kinds of cars go, the NSX is, is, from what I've understood, a very livable everyday car, and I, and I completely agree with you there, John. But it's also, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit boring, isn't it? In the sense that it's not, if you're going to go for an exotic, it's why boring? wouldn't you go? What well, in no. the world is boring oh God, about Please that. email Casey. Yeah, don't email me. Holy crap. Uh, no, what I mean by that is it, it, if, if I was going to go for a cheaper exotic, I would probably go the route of like a Lotus or something like that, which is about the same speed, but probably more tossable and actually new. Those you're not going to want to, any 25 grand Lotus you can find, you're not going to want to drive to work every day. Even the Elite, now wait, even, hold on. even in the current generation, you're not going to, the suspension is just going to torture you. It's not, it's, you know, it's a tiny That's go-kart a racing point. car. It's, it's not going to be comfortable. You're like, this is the way I think of it. If you plan to have a family, you get the Accord. If you are dedicated to being single and are only going to ever have one other person in the car, you get the NSX and you can drive that, you know, until the engine seizes up. I do Did have I to argue one thing with you, John. So, so you pasted these links in, and I, I'm looking at them. And both of the NSXs that you found, which both cost pretty much exactly twenty five thousand uh, dollars, both have well over a hundred thousand miles on them. That's actually a good thing because if you, as another article, I have a car and driver article about how to find a good used NSX, and they said there's a, a particular problem with the transmission, and if it's going to go bad, it's going to go bad sometime you know before fifty thousand miles. So you want to find the ones with high mileage because they're fine. So that's, <laughs> okay. an, that's actually an advantage. I don't know if I could if I could spend twenty five grand on a car with one hundred and forty thousand miles on it. But it's a Honda, though. It's not like you're getting a Ferrari with one hundred thousand miles on it. And yeah. it's going to be they're going to be gentle miles. Like it's people, like I said, people who buy these because people buy NSX flogging. to drive gently. Yeah, well, they take care of them, and you know, it's. I think you'd be surprised. Like if you look at the people who buy fancy Ferraris and everything like that, they people who buy a Corolla beat the hell out of that car way more than people who buy a Ferrari. You know, it's sitting here listening to you. You're, you're, I'm coming around. I think you make some pretty good points. It here. is, it is an interesting pick, but I, I would, it's an interesting pick for, for like the emotional value, like the, like the, you know, like, like when you, when you choose cars uh, with your crotch rather than your brain. Well, no, because um, I think this is with the brain too, because it's not you're not buying like an old Ferrari that's going to just fall apart on you, or like you know an old British car where the electrical systems have constantly failed. This is a comfortable, reliable daily commuter type car. And by the way, this has an 18.5-gallon fuel tank. That's pretty big for a car that size, actually. As I'm saying, good mileage, huge fuel. You could cruise cross-country in this thing, and you would look cool the whole time you did it, and you'd be comfortable. It's got, it's got everything. 25 grand. All right, you know that's what? an interesting pick. I, I can get behind this. I, I think I spoke too soon. This is a pretty good pick. You just want to avoid or you could, the email. Or you could get an Impreza, you know, one of the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, nobody has those. Well, so I, I've gone a totally different direction um, than the NSX with my pick, and it's going to sound very familiar. Um, my pick by far, you know, for best value, general purpose, long-term ownership, I think John is right that you should probably be looking at a Honda Accord. However, um, Honda Accords, because I'm not really sure what all the reasons are behind this, but they have terrible residuals. Um, and, and by that, I mean, they lose value very quickly for the first few years after they are new. So, uh, and more quickly than you would expect for a car that's that's as as good and and reliable as an, as as a Japanese sedan. Um, so my pick is actually a used 2010 Honda Accord EXL V6 with a six speed and with navigation. Um, Blue Book retail on these is only seventeen thousand, and because it's a Honda Accord, they're everywhere. You'll be able to find it in exactly what the configuration you want, exactly the color you want. You can probably even choose the dealer you want to go to. Like they're that common. Um, and so, you know, for seventeen thousand, it's a V6 Accord, so it's faster than Syracuse's. It's only a 2010 uh, model. It's probably, you know, it's figure it's about three years old. It's probably going to have right. like 30,000 miles on it. Did you look at the it. numbers? I'm not sure it's faster. The V6 2010 versus the, the, the current generation uh, four-cylinder. Uh, look up the speeds. If it's faster, I would be surprised if it's faster by much. 
Okay, it, maybe I, I didn't I didn't check that. So so somebody else can check that. Is is what what's the difference with the new four cylinder? Is it turbocharged or is it just bigger or what? This is more horsepower, and I mean, it, the thing is, the V6 is more powerful, but the, the car weighs more as well. And like it's the, right. the core V6 has never been. It's probably faster, but it's it may be close. Well, so what you get with this, so for for uh, eight thousand dollars less than than your pick of the new SE model, um, you get all of the luxury options. You get like because you know, the the EXL with that, so the L is leather, so you get the leather seats. Both seats, I believe, are powered. Um, you get all sorts of like fancy, cool stuff that you don't get on the lower trim levels, and it's a V6. It's available with a six-speed or automatic if you if you want to go that route. But you know, come on, you're going with a six-speed, and it has a navigation system, and that's for for seventeen thousand dollars for a car that is very reliable, has you know, and, and is likely to have well under forty thousand miles, probably you know twenty-five to forty-five. Um, that's that's going to be really hard to beat for general purpose value. The 2013 has more luxury features except for leather seats. And I would actually argue that, I mean, maybe it's because I'm used to poor man's cars, but I like cloth seats better than leather seats unless the leather seats are heated because leather seats are cold in the wintertime and I also find them slippery. So I like cloth seats. But, I mean, like, does, this thing has all – it doesn't – you know, your thing's not going to have, like, Pandora, Internet Radio, or Bluetooth stuff for, or an iPod connector or a USB audio jack or anything like that. It actually probably will have iPod and USB. In 2010, I, I think they did have that. I don't know. Uh, Rearview camera? No. I mean, they, they, they're adding <laughs> these fancy luxury features in, in the sport model. Uh, eight, an 18-inch alloy wheels, maybe you have that. I think that the V6 might have come with alloy wheels. But I think it's a, it's a good contest in terms of what has better luxury features. But the one thing the new right. car has that, that your car doesn't is the new car smell. <laughs> that's true well so can you, you yeah, just get one of those pine is, tree fresheners it is a big difference in price like if you if you gave me the money like yeah you'd probably go for the cheaper one and keep the extra eight grand but if they say you have 25 grand to spend and whatever you don't spend you just lose uh it's probably better going up the eight thousand right because you know the accord is an interesting car and and you know in general and i, I guess this is as good a time as any to bring this up uh in general uh when you when you deck out a car with options or with with, with higher trim levels you pay a lot for it up front, and then on resale, it's not worth that much. Um, so generally speaking, it's a really, usually a really good deal to either get a new car with no extras on it or to get a few years old one with all the extras, usually for less money. Um, like, cause, you know, it, it depends on what you're going for. Like Some people, especially like driving purists, they want their car to weigh as little as possible, so they don't want a whole bunch of, of heavy luxury features like, like powered seats because that, that adds weight. They want it to be as stripped down as possible, and that's fine. I'm not one of those people at all. I, uh, I want every luxury feature that, that the car supports, and even I'll try to bolt on additional ones if I can. Um, <laughs> I actually added an aux in jack to my Maxima. That's another story. Um, so, you know, I... I want, I want all the luxury features, and you cannot beat the value of getting those on like a three-year-old car instead of instead of brand new. Um, that's actually exactly true. And if you'll let me interject real yeah. quick, that's exactly what I did with my BMW. Is you know, like I said, it's a 2011, and I got it in the fall of um, of 2012, and I believe it was built in December 2010. And it is a pretty well loaded three series, and it has m- almost all the bells and whistles except an automatic because I like driving. And I got it for something like twenty grand less than the sticker price just a couple years before. I don't remember exactly what the delta was, but it was it, it was significant. And and I because of that, I was able to get into a much nicer car than I would have been that I would have chosen to buy. You know, if I tried, if I spent the same money on a new car, I wouldn't have gotten something nearly as nice. And actually, I don't have it in front of me, but a listener had written in asking, hey, if I'm about to get a new car or my first car, what should I get? And I apologize because I don't have your name handy. But this is, I think Marco's point is excellent that in my experience, having bought new and bought lightly used, I would go lightly used every time because it gets you into a whole new class of car that, that's considerably nicer in most cases. Right. And oh, because I just looked at the, the pictures in this, the 2010 Accord is, was the bad one, though. I thought it was back in my generation, but no, that's the bad one. What's I know people said it was too big. Besides that, what did people dislike about it? Uh, I, the one I drove was an automatic, and the automatic and it was terrible. But you're well, sitting, you sitting at it with a stick, but like it was kind of ugly and kind of like it lost the accordness. It, it lost the tight, snappy nimbleness, and it actually felt more like a big car. That's you know I I. I felt the things that annoyed me about it is the ergonomics were off and the automatic was terrible. Oh, you know what? Feel a little bit bigger. I know why I picked that year in particular because in the new generation you can't get a stick with a V6 anymore. Right, but the previous generation you could. You could have gone even cheaper. 
Maybe you go down like, you know, the, right before that redesign, get the basically the same generation I have, but get the V6 with a stick. Uh, that would probably be a better choice. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but then it would be older and would be, you know, possibly more maintenance than, than a 2010 model. But still, I mean, it, it, you know, the point is, I think ha- having bought used cars, having leased cars, and having bought um, new cars, and especially having bought a new Accord, uh, I think buying an Accord new, uh, for the most part, is not a great value because they lose so much value in their first few years. I don't know. Like when we had an Accord, what was it, a 2004 Accord, I think, uh, and it was totaled in an accident. Uh, and like a, like a year after we got it, maybe a year and a half, two years after we got it, and with the insurance money that we got for the car being totaled, plus 1000 of our extra money, we got a brand new current generation Accord. So it was like a year and a half, two years later, all we had to kick in was an extra $1,000 to get a brand new. We got it the same color, too. But like, then, you know, two model years up, one or two model years up from when we got this. So that's pretty I mean, good. Maybe, same options? Uh, it was actually, well, it was actually the better options because we got the special edition with like, yeah, this is the, everyone's admitting they're embarrassing things here. So, you know, you've got the car bra and, and he's got the white car. Here's my first one. Uh, so this, I wouldn't have picked the special edition Accord, which was like, it was like the end of this generation's model year range, I think. And they were just throwing in all those weird extras and stuff. And this is a car that a buyer had, uh, you know, optioned out for them. Like, you know, built, give me this car and give me all these things on it. I want the special edition. I want that. And then he bailed. So they had this car sitting there with, like, the extra trunk liner thing and the stupid mud <laughs> flap things and all this other stuff. And the special edition has faux carbon fiber on some parts of the deck. Oh, my God. So my Accord is the special edition, and it has faux carbon fiber. But it was it was $1,000. That is indeed special. I, I got a brand new car for $1,000 a couple of years after another brand new car. And, and it is actually better than the uh, the one that got totaled. So Is there like a sticker or an extra pinstripe to indicate the special edition? There is nothing to indicate it except uh, slightly different interior surface treatments, as far <laughs> as I can tell. Hold on. Marco is not one to be throwing stones on this, this issue. Doesn't one of your cars have like a plaque or something denoting what number it is? The VIN plate? Oh, no, no. no I, you know what I'm thinking <laughs> no. of. Oh, I thought the rocket had a special, like, this is number one of 1,000. That's allowed to, though. How many of those are made? Like, it's legitimate. It does. I'd give him, if, the, if it has a plaque with a number on it, I'd give it a total pass. How many cars like that are there in the entire United States? It actually is. 704. Right. So that's legitimate. That's not, you know, there's a couple more accords <laughs> than that. <laughs> so, and I will say though, back to the Accord value thing, there there is one exception to to my advice that it's generally not a good deal to get new, um, and that this applies to a lot of cars. That is lease specials, um, because you know leases are calculated by you know, interest and then what they think the value of the car will be at the end of the lease, and you you basically pay you know you split that by thirty six or whatever number of months you have, and that's what you pay per month plus interest. So. If the if the manufacturer thinks the car, you know, they just they base it on on past performance and stats and you know lots of analysis and math. They think the car is going to be worth X after three years and about this number of miles, and uh, and that's how they price it. With lease specials, they will juice the numbers to generate more sales in the short term, and then kind of pay for it later, or just hope things don't turn out very poorly later. And so, lease specials are often used to you know, just clear out inventory or, or boost the sales numbers for a month. Um, you know. Juking the stats in, in wire terms, um, and and so lease specials oftentimes can like I was looking there. I, There's some uh, lease uh, leaseguide.com is the site I found when I was researching for this topic, and uh, they had one. They had the Cadillac ATS, which is Cadillac's new BMW 3 Series competitor. They had a Cadillac ATS for three sixty a month for three years. That's cheap. That's re- that's cheaper than most Accord leases. Like that's really good. And then um, and you can occasionally get an Accord for like two fifty, you know. And and then you know you add a little more if you want more extras. But like lease specials are generally speaking, uh, they can be very very good deals and way better deals than you can ever get with a regular lease or with financing. Um, just because you're, you're, the manufacturer is discounting the car more than the dealers even can um, because they're they're betting against their own financial future. Um, one thing, um, so I, I did pick two other cars for the best value thing. One I'll go over very quickly. Um, if you have different priorities than us and somehow you're still listening to this podcast, if you, if you actually want to drive 
a very comfortable marshmallow. I would say a 2008-era Lexus ES is a really good bet. Um, Tiff's mom had one of these, and it's, it's a fantastic car. It, uh, the Blue Book retail on that right now is about 20000 for a 2008 Lexus ES350. Uh, the ES is based on the Camry, and so it's basically what you would expect from a, a luxurified Camry. So it's, it's completely a marshmallow, very, very you know, comfortable, soft, squishy. You don't have any road feeling whatsoever if you want that, and of course there's no stick. It's an extremely luxurious interior. It's a very large car. You can fit a ton in it, and it has a 272-horsepower V6. So that's that's you know pretty reasonable for twenty grand if if you actually have those marshmallow like priorities. Um, also, uh, honorable mention for Lexus, um, the RX three hundred and fifty SUV. The, they sell so many of those things, and uh, you can get one for about the same price. And and well, you're almost this is edging into minivan territory. And so really I, I, I only know this because Tiff's parents have had both of those cars, and they are they are you know they're not for me at all, but they're very nice cars. And Lexus, the reason why. Um, Lexus is is so good, um, you know. It's, it's based on Toyota. It, it tends to have very very good resale value, so you don't tend to lose a lot uh, with it. They're actually pretty good leases. Like Tiff's car, Tiff has an IS two fifty, and and I have a three series. And the lease on both of those, like my lease, is way higher than hers, even though her car was about the same like MSRP price as mine. I'm um, just because Lexus has such good residuals. But all that aside, I think uh, my third pick for the car thing is if you have priorities more like ours, but not quite as ridiculous as Casey's. What is that supposed to mean? I would say you should get the car that is pretty much my 3 Series, but two years older. Get the 2009 BMW 328xi. And the reason why is because... It, so Blue Book Retail is about 21.5 on that. Um, it's it's the same, same as mine, a couple years older. Um, it will... You know, a 2009 BMW, it's going to have maybe maybe 50,000 miles on it, 40,000, something like that. But what I like about this pick is that it, it is a completely different – it's a completely different level of, of luxury and handling and performance, even though it has what Casey thinks is a too slow engine. It's a 234-horsepower 200, uh, inline-six, and it also has all-wheel drive. And – I like all-wheel drive a lot. You know, there there are times when it's overrated, but overall, I like it a lot. Um, and for twenty one thousand dollars, you get a really, really awesome car. And because it's a few years old, you can get one with all sorts of options for not much of a premium. So I would say two thousand nine BMW three twenty eight XI for people with our uh, priorities is a really, really good pick if you want to if you want to save some money. I like that a lot better than your older Accord pick. I would much rather have that that uh, older BMW than that older Accord with all of the uh, luxury stuff on it. The, o- the only thing the Accord has going for it is that there is more room for... Lo- if you have, like, non-toddler or tiny-sized kids, if you have, like, teenagers, it's better. Or if you you drive around adults frequently. Oh, yeah. I've, I mean, been, in, the I've Accord, been in the back of my, of my dad's 328, which is a similar vintage, and I don't want to sit in that back seat. Yes, the, the Accord is a much bigger car. I mean, no, th- th- that's a thing. Like, you know, with the BMW, you're paying for that awesome engine. You're paying for the luxury features. You're paying for the awesome handling. Uh, and the four-wheel drive. That's, and that's, the all-wheel drive, yeah. That's a point up here. Um, so, you know, you're paying for all those things. That's what, you know, the, the Accord, you can get newer for a lot less money. But it's, just, it's just like when they're new. You can get a new Accord for a lot less than a new 328, but... And the, and the Accord is better in a few respects, like space and stuff like that. But then the 328 is a car that, you know, you, you feel something when you drive it. And, you know, not, not you know, literally. Like, you feel excited. You, you enjoy the car. And, you know, some people, they don't care. They'd rather have the better value or they need certain features that it doesn't offer. Fine. Um, but for, for people like us, generally speaking, uh, a 3 Series is awesome. I would agree with that. Now, is it is this the juncture, the the time at which I get to lecture you about all wheel drive, or do we want to go a different direction? This is a good time. All right. Well, firstly, I have to pull a John Syracuse and do a little real time follow up. Uh, oh I did find God. the name. I did find the name of the individual that had emailed us asking for tips about a first car, and that was Justin Woodbridge. So, thank you, Justin, for quasi inspiring that segment. Um, it, it, so, Marco and I have gone back and forth a lot about whether or not he needs all wheel drive, and, and the comedy of this is I spent my high school years in Connecticut, like we've already established, and I learned to drive on uh, in snow. 
And I've lived in Virginia, in different parts of Virginia for the last uh, basically decade. And I've been insisting to Marco that he really doesn't need all-wheel drive. And in fact, a very close friend of mine, Brian, the same guy who had the uh, R32, which was all-wheel drive, now has a 2009 335 that's rear-wheel drive. And he lives in Morgantown, West Virginia, where there's mountains. And there's nothing but mountains, and he gets by just fine. Of course, he's also putting on hugely expensive finished snow tires, if I'm not mistaken, but we'll leave that out for this part of the conversation. And then another friend of mine, Sean, who also lives in Connecticut, uh, he used to rock a uh, 240SX way back in the day, again with snow tires, but rear-wheel drive in snowy mountainous areas. Well, Connecticut isn't mountainous, but a snowy area, and it worked just fine. And so Marco and I have been going back and forth about whether or not he really needs all-wheel drive, and without totally ruining everything, I will claim victory by saying I know for fact that his next car is not all-wheel drive and is indeed rear-wheel drive. And the really funny thing is that during all this time that you were trying to convince me that I didn't need it, you ended up buying an all-wheel drive car, and now I've ordered one that's rear-wheel drive. Yes, this is exactly true. And and in Richmond, Virginia, we get typically two snowstorms a year, two blizzards a year of about three or four inches each. And I know John is just dying well, right you, now. Well, you know, Marco, you can you can think about Casey and how he told you you don't need a four-wheel drive when you're pushing your expensive new car up a hill <laughs> or out of a ditch or some other situation. Like, I, I I don't know whether you need four-wheel drive, but going with a rear-wheel drive, living where you live, like, global warming is your only hope. Because I can tell you, like, <laughs> even if you get the fancy finished snow tires in that thing— you do not want to be going up and down any hills in a winter storm in your giant, expensive, high-performance rear-wheel drive sedan because you will be embarrassed by a Honda Civic front-wheel drive passing you going up the hill because it can claw its way up with its skinny little crappy tires. And you, with your high-performance, uh, large-contact patch uh, water skis spinning in the back, will be going nowhere. <laughs> so well, there are a few reasons why I thought, you know what, actually, in re- you know, overall evaluating my situation... I think I can get away with a rear-wheel drive car, and, and and it's mainly because so I, I live I live in Westchester, New York, you know, right above the city. We do get snow here, not as much as you get upstate, but we do get snow here, and you know, pretty regularly in in some winters. But the last two winters, we've had almost none. Now, granted, it's only you know late January now, you know, it's but still, we've had very little the last two winters. I have an all-wheel drive car, and I and I love I love that I have that in the snow. However. It's an all-wheel drive car with all-season tires that are now... Wait, what, is, what is your all-wheel drive car? The 3. Oh, I thought you were getting rid of that. This was replacing it. It is. At least runs out. Yeah, yeah. So, so right now I have this car. Right. So there, there are two things that made me decide I could do a rear-wheel drive. One is I've been learning about snow tires, and I've never had snow tires before, and I've all the research I'm doing indicates that they really do help quite a bit, and, and a lot of countries are, are requiring them now. Uh, for for winter driving and quite a lot of countries actually and so you know the evidence is pretty strong that i should have snow tires anyway even if i get an all-wheel drive car um so you know that's that that's beside the point i'm gonna have snow tires uh, next winter but what has mostly changed my mind is that we are now a two-car family we my wife has a car and we both like the same kind of cars we both like mid-sized sedans so we're both we both own mid-sized sedans, and that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. And then if we ever do need a minivan, she has agreed that she will be the one who, who, who will have it because I have the best wife in the universe. Um, so we will always have a car that can work in snow if, if snow happens, uh, and, and it can be her car. So her car can be all-wheel drive with or without snows, and my car can be a rear-wheel drive with snows in the winter, and I think that'll be fine. And there, there have been so few occasions during my 328 lease where I've actually needed to drive in the snow. And well, in some you, of them... You don't have to commute. That's probably your saving grace. Right. That's, yeah, that's true. And, and, and in some situations, I felt that the all-wheel drive actually gives, and I'm sure everybody who's a nerd will agree with this, it gives a false sense of security in that it, it helps you go if you are going to be stuck. It, it, it helps you go, but it doesn't really help you stop. And it doesn't really help your grip. It just helps you get out if you are stopped. When, uh, when you're trying to make your way up a hill, believe me, the ability to go suddenly becomes very important. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. So going up a snowy hill in an all-wheel drive car 
is certainly, you know, I'd, I'd rather have all-wheel drive at that moment uh, than rear, but I think rear with snows can probably at least do it. And because I need to do that so incredibly infrequently, so, you know, my next car, it's also going to be on a three-year lease. I don't. Th- I think during the entirety of, of the time I have that car, I might need to drive up a snowy hill maybe once. Like, that's, that's how often I would need to do that, given the last few winters. Just, just don't go for chicken salad if it's snowing. No, of course not. I would make my own at that point. Um, so, yeah, did, is the minivan going to be four wheel drive? Because we had a minivan growing up as one of the cars that I drove, one of the cars that I learned to drive on, and it was a four wheel drive minivan. And they are—I don't know if they even exist anymore. I have no idea. Four wheel drive minivans like this was—we had trouble finding. We got the Mazda MPV, which was four wheel drive and actually like jacked up a little bit compared to other minivans, and it was great in the snow. Right, and if, if you're talking about real snow handling, you make a good point that ground clearance is a pretty big issue. And and that's why things like Jeeps and, and SUVs tend to be and trucks tend to be better in the snow. I don't know, I don't know if ground because ground clearance really helps. The levels of snow on a plowed road because that's what kills you is like the plowed roads. Like we had, oh, even yeah. though we haven't had snow the past few years, like many years ago, we had some big snow winters here. And I, I was commuting. When you commute, it's like look, you got to go to work and you've got to come home. Sometimes you have to go to work and come home and pick up the kids. So it's, there's like mandatory trips built into your day and it doesn't matter what the weather is like you have to go to daycare and get the kids you have to leave work you have to go home and there's a certain number of hills there and some of the worst things that i've been through i've gone like on the you know the exit ramp to get off 95 that where, where i get off to go home i'm in the car with the kids cutting my way in my crappy front wheel drive honda civic through like the the uh twisted bodies of mercedes bmws and lexus that are all on the entrance ramp all twisted at some strange angle all half off the road because they couldn't make it up the ramp and i'm just going to turn in you know front wheel drive all season tires terrible performance no horsepower uh and they're all stuck and i'm not see but that car is built to a degree and hear me out it's kind of built for the snow in the sense of it's not overpowered so taking off from a stop and doubly so since you have a stick you can you can feather the, you can feather the application of the clutch and the throttle and so you can take off very gently additionally and i think this is where the minivans come back in um the tires are comparatively much thinner you had you had talked about his water skis and you're absolutely right Having thinner tires to cut through the snow helps a lot. Uh, it, you, it doesn't weigh a lot, which is a which is a mark against it. But you know, all the weight is over the over the wheel, over the front wheels, and those are the drive wheels. Right. And so, front wheel there, drive. Yeah, there are. That is the only time in which front wheel drive is an absolute advantage. And to build on what I believe it was that you said, John, uh, my parents had a GMC Safari, a four wheel drive GMC Safari, when I was in high school and I was growing up. And I kid you not, that thing was a tank in the snow. I mean, it would go anywhere it was ridiculous because it weighed a million pounds and it had relatively thin tires and it had all-wheel drive and it would go anywhere you know the bmw four-wheel drive systems aren't like it's not you know most of the time it's a rear-wheel drive car it's not as terrible as you know you've got one casey like it it, it, they the the i believe their thing sends like does it send all the power to the rear wheels no it's i believe it's 60 40 by default I think that's right, but Isn't to that, to some that of them I, maybe maybe I'm thinking of the Ferrari four four wheel drives. Why don't you just get a Ferrari? Yeah, every manufacturer's yeah. system is different. <laughs> what is it? The the FF is that the the one I'm thinking of? Uh, I think you're right. Yes, it yeah. sends 100 percent of the power to the rear wheels until like they slip, and then it starts redistributing them. That, I, tell you I should what, have picked though. that as my twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, get right. a time machine, go forward in time twenty five <laughs> years, and when I don't know if that car will ever be twenty five thousand dollars. It's pretty ugly. Maybe it will be. Yeah, you never know. And actually, really quickly, another story I wanted to tell was shortly after I got my 335 on a completely dry day on the biggest road that runs through the length of Richmond in a, in a time and a place where I really shouldn't have done it. I thought to myself, you know what? I, I want to see what this car is really made of. And I was doing a U-turn on a multi, multi-lane road each direction. And so I turned the, the, the DSC full off. So the car was completely raw. It's not like, I believe, Mercedes, where it still has nannies there, so you can't get too sideways. Well, I was doing my U-turn, and it was from a, from a dead stop. So I get about halfway through the turn. I'm in first. DSC is full off. Remember that BMW, non-M BMWs do not have limited slip rear end. So I get halfway through the turn. I stand on the gas. And next thing I know, I'm at a 45-degree angle with the way the road is supposed to go and realizing, wow, this thing is a lot more rear bias than the Legacy was and also has a lot more power. So, I mean, it's, a, it's exactly like you said, John. It's, it's much more rear-happy than a lot of other four-wheel drive systems are. Oh yeah, but but at the same time, it it does it does feel extremely different from a rear wheel drive three twenty. Yes. Like it, yes. like the 
it feels very the driving feeling is completely different and you you, yeah. you can tell which one you're in instantly if you pay attention to it like you can you can very very easily tell um besides the tremendous ugly badge on the new ones um that's, i don't know what they were thinking with that but uh yeah <laughs> i wonder what they were thinking if that's if that's the actual split if it's 40 percent mandatory to the front and then you know rebuild that's a lot like i, I would have i don't know why they would have split i believe it has the done. i believe it has the ability to send 100 percent to any one wheel uh, in a slippage, but uh, we'll, we'll have to research this. I, I'm pretty sure it can send up 200% to any one wheel, but by default, it's 60-40. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that's cars right. usually default to like massively rear and then only start sending to the front if things slip. So I'm wondering why they why they went with it. Maybe they went with that split, but they very look, if you're buying, buying the four-wheel drive, you want, it, you want that driving characteristic? I don't know. Why don't we get BMW engineers on the show? We'll ask them. That'd well, we great. don't have to. Because Wikipedia says that you guys are right. While you were <laughs> while you were talking, I was able to get my own real time follow up here again, and uh, it is a sixty forty split rear biased, and then uh, the X drive can react within a tenth of a second to redistribute up to one hundred percent of engine power to the front or rear axle. And I will say generally, you know, as these systems go, again, every manufacturer's all wheel drive system is a little bit different. Um, I would say Lexus's is okay. I- I've seen it fail a few times. Um, X drive is awesome. I, I really do think as as these systems go, BMW's X Drive is is very very good. I don't have a lot of experience with Quattro, uh, and I know that Audi people are fanatical about it, so I can't really say whether it's better than Quattro. It from from the research I've done, it seems like people tend to agree that they're at least equals, and some people say X Drive is better. I I can't really vet that, but um, it it is really amazing. And it the only thing that it can't do is a diff lock. But if it can send 100% of the power to any of the four wheels, um, I guess in theory, you're very unlikely to get stuck, right? Well, it's not any of the four wheels, which is where the trick, like S4 differentials and whatnot, get really interesting. It's it's any of the two axles. Oh. So so then what happens, if I'm not mistaken, and the last time I said that, I was talking about wastegates and blow-off valves, but my understanding <laughs> is it gets it, it gets all the power to the front or rear axle, and then by the DSC... And DTC will do some crazy junk with breaking the wheel that's spinning in order to to, to get the net effect of a limited slip differential. Yeah, even those, though your systems are terrible, the ones that ones that use wheel braking instead of mm-hmm. yeah, no, not good. Especially when you're trying to get up a snowy hill. Let me tell you, traction control is also your enemy most of the time. Trying to get up yes. because it will break the sleep, slipping wheel, and you it's like no, I want to go up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> don't stop applying the brakes i will now slide down and turn sideways as the civic drives past me on the entrance ramp <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness i don't know i really I, I i really hope that snow tires are are good they um, are all just all season tires are fine that's a, again the problem with buying expensive cars is they come with high performance tires which are great in the summer and are not great in the way like just plain old all season tires that like the cheap cars come with even those are miles ahead of, of the slicks that you're going to get with like an actual high performance car. Well, that's that's not entirely true. So what we just last week got a couple inches of snow, which again for for Richmond is a blizzard. And I took the 335 out just around the neighborhood, and it has the run flat stock summer tires on it. And are you surprisingly, sure those all yeah, they, uh, they call them summer tires because mm-hmm. usually the the stock ones don't have that. Like I'm thinking, you know, when you, for example, the 1M is going to have the, probably the crazy tire standard, but the regular yep. 3 Series is going to have all season tires. I have to imagine. No, no, they're summer. I'm almost because mine has mine came with uh, all seasons. My 328. Is it the compound or the tread pattern or both? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't recall. I'm, I'm cheating and trying to look at tire rack while we're talking, but. <laughs> Um, I mean, also consider it does have the M Sport package, which again is almost entirely aesthetic junk. But um, let's see. Yeah, because, it, because it has different tires. wheels, though, it, it might have come with summer tires. Yeah, could be. I mean, I mean, you, Brid- yeah, this is a Bridgestone Potenza RE zero five zero A run flat max performance summer. That's it. All right. So how did it do mm-hmm. in the snow? It actually did all right. I mean, to be honest, how I much probably, snow was it in Virginia? Anyway? <laughs> well, like I said, it was about two inches, which for us is a legitimate blizzard. And school was canceled the following day. I kid you not. Um, wow. how do you, wait, wait, wait a second. How? What is the justification for canceling school when there is two inches of snow? Is it because the buses can't get through? 
No, I don't think so. I think part of the problem is we don't have the plow, the plows and all the other things that you guys have. Yeah, but it's um, two inches. You don't need to plow two inches. Part you of roll it, your cars over it. Part of it is that we drive in the snow as well as Californians drive in the rain. Don't yeah. email me. Um, and part of it is because there's been a couple times lately that the county in which we live has not canceled or have not canceled school. Everybody um, died. And then everybody died. <laughs> and so now they're trigger happy. Um, but no, and also in, there are rural parts of the, um, of the County wherein the, the buses do sometimes have troubles, uh, getting through these very random back roads. And so buses rear wheel drive. Yes, but there's four wheels in most cases and they're gigantic and they're gigantic and tall and skinny, which is what we've already established is exactly what you want. I don't know. They're, they're, they're an interesting breed here. There was, there was I, I decided to take the 1M out during, during our, uh, our Halloween snowstorm this year just to see. I was still in the process of figuring out whether I needed all-wheel drive for my next car or not. So here I had a, a car with summer tires and way too much power going to the back where it's, it's very, very easy for, the, for you to spin the rear tires of the, of the 1M just by trying to go normally. Uh, it has way too much power for for its body, and uh, and so I, and the t- so as a result, the rear tires. I, I hope mostly from the previous owner, uh, the rear tires are pretty worn down. I, I would say they they have gone through at least half of their tread uh, of, of the usable tread. So, and and you can tell there's like <laughs> if you look at the fronts versus the rears, like the front tread is way deeper. Um, so here I have. Worn down summer tires on a very, very powerful rear-wheel drive lightweight car. And I decided to take it out on the road in the snowstorm to see, you know, just quick trip to the grocery store. A, a short route I knew well. Uh, I knew, you know, what would be the challenging parts of it. And it turned out, and my, my neighborhood is very, very hilly. So I'm going up and down, lots of hills, covered in snow. Nothing was plowed. There was no salt. It was too early in the season. We weren't even prepared. So no plowing, no salting, nothing. And it was a little bit warm, so the snow was all being packed down into a, into a slush, into like a, a packed slush, which is pretty much the worst-case scenario for traction. Um, so I go, I start driving to the grocery store, and the whole time I'm thinking, you know what? This is pretty good. I, I'm feeling just fine. Like, the car handled just fine the entire way there. And then I pull into the grocery store parking lot and go sideways, just trying to take a turn. <laughs> Going like from one part of the lot to another, going down an aisle, trying to turn my car at five miles an hour, totally sideways, like a and Virginian. stuck, like a Virginian, stuck solid. I I had to have grocery store employees come out and help me. They didn't sell shovels. I couldn't just buy one and shovel, shovel out a few wheels. They had to push me out of that lot. I oh, could so not get out of that. Experience pushing your rear-wheel drive car. It was ridiculously <laughs> embarrassing. Wow. Uh, and and then the whole ride home, perfect, fine. So it was it was a uh, it went worse than I expected when I actually got in that lot. From what I understand, though, I was doing a few things wrong. Number one, obviously, I had the wrong kind of tires. Number two, the tires were too worn down. And number three, uh, as Casey pointed out, I didn't know to turn traction control off when you're trying to get out of a stuck, snowy position. Uh, so I was doing it. You know, I, tr- I did try tr- starting in second or third gear instead of first. That didn't really seem to help. The, the rear tire just had no grip on that surface. But I did not try turning traction control off. So maybe that would have helped. I don't know. Probably not, honestly, um, because you know the tires were just the wrong type of tire on a very light car and blah, blah, blah. But it was sobering, to say the least, However, now I uh, decided instead to still get a rear-wheel drive car for my next car. And but here again, I mean the one M and and at least that one uh, that has a proper limited slip differential, and so it didn't help point, at all. Well, no, but with the traction control off and without the the computer trying to be smarter than it really is, I think you would have been just fine. With no tread on the tires and this well, big, okay, no. wide, it would just it would just smoothly polish the snow underneath the tires. <laughs> the mirror finish. Yeah, I mean they're That's very wide true. tires. That is true. Well, and the funny thing is, having driven Marco's one M, I can tell you that um, when I, I will never forget being in first, puttering off the line, standing on the gas with I, I believe we had the DSC on. Yeah, and I wouldn't the let you car, turn it off. 
Yeah, exactly. And the car started to jiggle in the back as the boost built, and eventually it started to lose traction. And this was on a pretty cold day, but this was on a completely dry day, and it was It was like it was 50 degrees, cool. and we were going in a straight line on a dry yeah, road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's exactly my point. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> it, the thing is ridiculous. Yeah, so but, not the best example for a rear-wheel drive car uh, being good in the snow, but I will say the entire rest of the drive, it was great. Just that parking lot got stuck. But it got so stuck that I, I know if there was ever a time for me to spontaneous run, spontaneous run into John Syracuse in New York, I, like, <laughs> I would have loved for John to pull up next to me as he's driving his, his crappy beat-up Civic or whatever. I thought it was an Accord. I have an Accord and a Civic. I got two cars. Oh, man. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. two cars. Both my, my wife works, you know. Right. Okay. So, so yeah. You have to both commute to work. Oh, that that would have been the best moment ever. Yeah, well, at least your car didn't have a bra on it. <laughs> and on that note, we should probably call it a day. I believe that's our end. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh that's goodness. great. I that would have awesome. helped you push your car up.